Amen. Honestly, I think I could just go home at this point. <laughs> like, worship was so good. I'm, I could not be prouder of this team today. They, can you give them a hand? Yeah. They, they gave me such an incredible gift today. They said, hey, why don't you not lead worship and speak on the same day? Why don't you just let us do it and you focus on speaking? And I'm so thankful for that. Um, normally when I speak, I'm wearing a couple of different hats. So I just, I, I couldn't be prouder of Chris and the team and I'm so thankful for them and, and, uh, Ricardo sharing that word. That's so powerful. We believe here at this church that it's not just the pastors that have a voice. It's that every mission member has their own mission and their own voice. And so you're going to begin to hear more voices from this stage sharing scripture and and praying for our city and stuff and so i'm just super excited about that thank you ricardo for sharing that um if you don't know me my name is jason day i'm the creative arts pastor here at the mission and normally i play music here and chris speaks here but pastor chris is on on vacation so i i I moved over a spot so um (laughs) So he's on vacation, and uh, next week we have the the privilege of hearing uh, Dr. Mark Ashley speak, and he's going to bring it and and wrap up this Kingdom Come series that we're in, and so excited about that. Um, I know you guys are going to be shocked by this. Get ready, brace yourself, but I'm 36 years old, right? Right? I know. I can't even believe it either. I mean, that may not sound like a lot of years, but like, I've lived a lot of life in that 36 years on this planet, you know? Like, I, I packed everything I owned in my car, my little Hyundai Elantra, and moved from Columbus, Ohio, and drove to Redding, California to live when I was 19, like... I didn't bring a mattress with me. I didn't, if it didn't fit in the car, it wasn't coming, you know? So, like, I, I did that, you know? Like, uh, in my 36 years, I've seen some of the most amazing concerts you could ever think to see. Bob Dylan, U2, Coldplay, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band, everybody from Ozzy Osbourne to Snoop Dogg, I've seen them, you know? Um And maybe the most accomplished thing I've done in my 36 years that every little boy grows up and dreams to do, say it with me, grow a lumberjack beard. And I mean, it's kind of thin, it's kind of thin right now, but it used to be poofier, but, um, but, uh, it's, it's not now. Um, so I've lived a lot of life in this 36 years that I've had on this planet. And there's that old saying, it's, it's not quite the years as much as it is the miles of the years, you know? And, and honestly, there are many days, guys, where I feel the miles of my years. <laughs> and I don't know if anybody can relate to that, but especially recently, I've been feeling the miles of my years. And, uh, but there's one time of year, regardless of what, how old I am or how old I feel, that I am instantly transformed into a giddy kid again, a giddy little boy, and that is Christmas. I, I feel like it's only fitting that it being August we talk about Christmas. So, um, 
So, uh, <laughs> I love Christmas. I love everything there is to love about Christmas. I mean, obviously, I love that we celebrate the birth of Jesus, because that's what Christmas is all about. And, like, I, that is so deeply impactful to my life and, and meaningful to me. But there are other things that I love about the Christmas season, too. Um, not as much as I love that, of course, but, uh, um, but, I, but I love, you know, the lights that people's put on their houses, shout out to Paul wherever he is. Um, if you haven't seen Paul's light show around Christmas time, it's crazy. It's synced to music and it's it's unbelievable. But I love the lights around town and I love decorating the Christmas tree with my family. I love the Christmas foods and desserts, especially the peanut butter blossom cookies. Like I feel like I could go for a few of those right now, actually. Um, I love ugly Christmas sweaters and white elephant gift parties. And I also love that Starbucks changes their cups from white to red at Christmas time. I mean, who doesn't love that, right? I mean, seriously. And uh, I mean, another thing is that some people don't like Christmas songs. Some people hate them, in fact. Like, but I love them, you know, like I, I, can't wait till we start singing Christmas songs in church. And, and when I'm listening to Christmas music at home, which my wife hates, um, I, I, the, the Charlie Brown Christmas soundtrack is banned in our household, actually. <laughs> FYI. But um, when I'm listening to Christmas songs at home, my, my rule of thumb is the cheesier the better, right? You know, like, I'm, I'm telling you, you haven't heard Oh Come All Ye Faithful until you've heard Twisted Sister sing it. I mean... <laughs> I mean, seriously, it's so, so moving. No, it's not. It's, there's way too, there's way too much cowbell in it, actually. But, um, but, <laughs> but, but one thing I love most beyond all those other things except for the birth of Jesus, caveat, um, is, uh, is giving and receiving gifts. Like, on Christmas morning, I'm actually, I think I'm as excited as the boys in our household. And, and seriously, like, there's just something about Finding the perfect gift for someone that that makes them so happy and that fills me with a certain kind of joy and or on the other hand receiving a gift that someone has put so much thought into and and that you can't believe how well they know you like it's kind of embarrassing actually for a pastor to admit but honestly gifts I think might be a little bit of my love language and and when I think back on the gifts that I've given and received on Christmas morning, it seems like they fall into, you know, there's a couple of categories that jump into mind with these gifts. And a lot of time leading up to Christmas, any parents, let me know if you can relate to this. Um, Christmas, in the time leading up to Christmas morning, my boys will beg and beg and beg and beg for this one particular toy. And when the actual Christmas morning comes, right, the day actually arrives and they unwrap this gift, that this toy that they have been begging and begging for, they unwrap it and they're so excited, like they're so filled with joy, they're, they're jumping up and down and they're so unbelievably excited for like a day, right? Anybody relate to that? Yeah, for like a day, right? Maybe two, right? 
And then what happens is eventually they discover that the toy is not exactly what that like um, Disney Junior commercial made it out to be like. Or maybe it's too difficult to play with or it just causes frustration or Maybe it's just not as cool as they thought it was because a lot of times they put the toy in the center of like a landscape or something. And I remember with G.I. Joe's, I would always be like, hey, I want that desert and the lake and stuff, you know, that they're fighting on. But but anyway, so like uh, it just maybe it wasn't as cool as they thought it was going to be or maybe it's made cheaply and it breaks easy. But. More times than not, what happens is this gift that they begged and begged and begged for ends up at the bottom of their closet, buried under a bunch of other toys that they don't play with either. And the wonder that they once had for this gift, this, the, the wonder that filled them on Christmas morning that they once had with this toy is gone. And they just kind of the wonder is lost and they move on as if they had never been given the gift and eventually Christmas rolls around again and the cycle starts all over, right? And it's, it's kind of sad when you think about it, I, I feel like. Um, another gift uh, category that comes to mind when I think about Christmas and stuff is, is a gift that is so overwhelmingly over the top that the person who receives it can't believe it. The gift may be expensive or maybe it's just incredibly thoughtful, but either way, the, the person receiving the gift is shocked and immediately filled with a little bit of guilt that their gift isn't as good in return. And maybe... Most of the time, that person who received this extravagant gift then begins to plot ways to pay back the generosity of the, to the gift giver. I mean, I'm sure many of us have been in that position one time or another. I think, you know, we can, a lot of us can relate to these two gift categories that we've talked about, but um, that, I, that I've described. But for some of us, once in a while... Maybe once in a lifetime, there is a gift that changes everything. A gift that we know we will never, ever be able to pay back. A gift so meaningful that when we think about it even now, it still kind of fills us with wonder. For me, when I was 13 years old, I received my my first guitar for Christmas. And I remember, I remember it as if it were yesterday. My whole extended family is musical, and, and although I really loved music, I had never really been successful at playing an instrument. And, you know, I had like a brief run-in with a piano, and I had like a small affair with a trombone, but I like, I never really got very far with these instruments, and, and, so at that time, I had a friend that was older than me, and at that time, he showed me a few chords on the guitar, and like I felt like at that point, I had been given the keys to the kingdom. <laughs> like I was From that moment, I was hooked, and any chance I got, I would borrow somebody's guitar to practice, and I begged for months and months for my own guitar, but not just any guitar, mind you, a black 
Fender acoustic guitar because that's what was cool. And uh, Christmas came that year and man, no guitar was found under the tree. And I got a lot of really great things though, so I was just trying to be extra grateful for what I had received. And it wasn't until during our traditional Christmas breakfast that I left the table to go to the restroom and I opened the bathroom door and... There it was, a big black guitar case. Holy moly, I gave a loud shout, right? And I rushed the guitar case over to the dining room table. And when I opened it, I saw the Fender logo on a shiny jet black acoustic guitar. And I mean, I couldn't believe it. I I mean... I can't remember if I cried, actually, but I do remember the feeling of just overwhelming joy and, like, endless possibilities, you know? And for me, I'll I'll never forget that Christmas. That Christmas will never lose its wonder to me. And, And it impacted the rest of my life in a way that I could never, ever repay. Today we're going to discuss a gift, that a life-changing gift that God has given each and every one of us. A gift that can easily fall into any one of these categories if we let it. A, A gift so powerful that no one can enter God's kingdom without it. I'm talking about the gift of forgiveness. So if you would... Please turn with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 18, and we're going to begin at verse 21. Matthew 18, verse 21. So let me give you a little setup of where we are in the Bible right now. At this point in the book of Matthew, Jesus has spent a lot of time teaching people his understanding and practices of faith, which were extremely radical for their day. He has performed all kinds of miracles, including the feeding of the 5,000, walking on water, healing numerous people of sickness and demon possession. And Jesus also predicted his own death to his disciples two separate times by now. And in the beginning of Matthew 18, we find the disciples arguing about which one of them will be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Crazy, right? I mean... How self-centered could they be? I mean, but Jesus doesn't get angry. In fact, he decides to use this as a teaching moment. And in the next several verses, Jesus begins to describe how we should care for our brother and sister believers, especially new believers. Eventually, Jesus addresses what to do if another, another believer sins against you. This section in the beginning of verse 15 is some of the most solid, practical teaching for us today in the Bible, but sadly today it is one of the most unpracticed. So I highly, highly recommend you backtracking on your own and going over all of Matthew 18, the chapter. But for our purposes today, we're going to pick up at verse 21, where after the discussion about what to do if a believer sins against you, Peter asks, well, how many times should we forgive a brother and sister who, for, who sins against us? 
as Jesus often did, he began to tell a story to Peter and the other disciples to answer this question. In this, in it, and it's called a parable. And it's just a story with a meaning, basically. Jesus is trying to communicate a, 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 an answer through a story. And so that's where we pick up our scripture today in Matthew 18, starting at verse 21 through 35. So if you'd stand with me to, for the reading of God's Word. Um, let's go ahead and begin on, at verse... 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle all accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell to his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay everything back. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me. I will pay, I will pay everything back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Mm, You may be seated. Wow. So let's set the scene. Jesus has just finished teaching his disciples about how to handle conflict among other believers. And Peter, of all people, pipes up with a question. He asks, how many times should I forgive another brother or sister who have sinned against me? And then it kind of seems like he just like throws out a number like, Seven times, Lord? But it's really not, it's, it's really more than a number. The rabbis of Peter's day would have commonly taught that they were to forgive other believers only three times. So by saying seven times, Peter is trying to make himself look really good and extra merciful, right? And, but, Jesus is about to drop some knowledge on Peter. He's about to just blow Peter's mind. Um, Jesus tells Peter to forgive them 77 times. Not seven, 77. Which is Jesus' way of saying, you know what, don't even bother keeping count. It's, It's extra ironic 
that Peter is the one asking this question and trying to look so spiritual in front of Jesus because later on in the Bible, Peter is the one who denies even knowing Jesus. Not once, but three times. But that's a whole other rabbit trail that we don't need to talk about today. But let's stick to the matter at hand in which Jesus begins to tell Peter and the other disciples a parable about forgiveness. He tells them of a king who's bringing all of his accounts into order and settling all debts, which was common for a king to do during a certain time of year. One of the king's servants is, is brought before him, and, and this particular servant owed quite a lot of money. The NIV translation tells us that this servant owed 10,000 bags of gold. And by bags of gold, they mean the Greek word talents, which was worth about 20 years of a laborer's wages. One talent was worth 20 years of a laborer's wages. And this guy, he owed 10,000 talents, like... To the people that Jesus is telling this story to, this would have been like an unfathomable amount of money, like a jaw-dropping amount, you know? And if a single talent was worth 20 years of a laborer's wage, then to pay back the 10,000 talents this servant owed the king, it would have taken him 500 years I mean, Moses lived a long time, but not that long, right? And there's no way this guy should have been able to borrow this much money, but much less expected to pay it back in his lifetime. But Jesus doesn't elaborate on whether this guy just like loved the horse track or like he invested it all in a pyramid scheme or whether he became like a Mary Kay consultant. I don't know, but but needless to say... This guy was in trouble, right? And so, because the king was bringing all things back into right standings, as kings tend to do, it was time for this guy to be held accountable. And so, because he couldn't repay his debt, the king called for everything he owned, plus he himself and his family, to be sold to repay the debt, which meant slavery for he and his family. The servant falls to his knees and begins to beg the king to be patient with him. And he promises the king that he'll pay back all that he owes. The king, knowing that, all, that this would never, ever be possible, has mercy on him. Cancels his debt, lets him go free. Isn't that such a beautiful story? Like, wow, I'm so moved. Let's have the ushers come forward. Oh, wait, it doesn't, it doesn't end there, right? Like, if only it did. Um, So what does the servant do after that? After he's forgiven of this debt, that debt that would have taken him 500 years to pay off, you would think he probably had a new lease on life, right? Because he just glimpsed a life of slavery. But no. What does he do? He goes out and he gets in contact with another servant who owes him a much lesser debt than the one he was just forgiven of. About the equi- This debt was about the equivalent of a hundred days of work. So like, not even half a year. And this guy just got forgiven of 500 years worth of debt. Like, crazy. And so, 
His fellow servant, of course, can't pay back the debt and he begs him to be patient with him, which is exactly what the first servant begged the king, right? Um, But the first servant had no such mercy on his fellow co-worker and actually he goes as far as to have him thrown in jail, which is unbelievable. The king finds out because, let's face it, the king always finds out. People always find out, right? And and the king is furious. The king had him thrown in jail to be tortured until he could pay back all that he owes, which we all know was impossible because his debt was way too great. Jesus then ends this parable with an incredibly poignant statement. He says in verse 35, This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Wow. Things just got real, right? (laughs) Something happens to me every time I read that last line of the scripture. It puts it into perspective that Jesus is talking about me. I'm the servant who is a complete fool in the storyline, and God is the merciful King. Wow. Just let that sink in for a moment. Like, you know, Jesus doesn't tell us in the parable how much time passes between when the servant was forgiven to when he was having his co-worker thrown in jail. He doesn't give us any more details in that in the scripture, so we can't even begin to speculate any further about that story. But when I think of this storyline in terms of us as believers today, I can think of a couple of ways that this happens to us. Many of us in this room have at one time or another accepted the ultimate gift of salvation from God, our King, right? God sent His only Son, Jesus, to die on a cross to wipe all of our dead away so that we can live a life of true freedom in Christ. All God asks is that we accept the gift and begin to live for Him. And many of us have, right? But when we first received this gift, we were probably jumping up and down so thankful for what God had done for us. We were so thankful we wanted to just let the whole world now know. We wanted to shout it from like a mountain, you know. And But as time went on, maybe things didn't turn out exactly like we pictured them. Maybe being a person of faith was harder than you expected or God began to move in your life in ways you found a little scary. Maybe you began to lose that excitement a little bit and it was replaced with other emotions like fear, doubt, or indifference. And you began to disconnect from the gift. Pretty soon, you're so disconnected from the gift that it's like that Christmas gift at the bottom of the closet. Or maybe you never really let yourself completely connect with the gift of salvation in the first place. God has forgiven you, but maybe you have a hard time forgiving yourself. So you spend your time trying to pay back this extravagant gift that God has given you, but you lose sight 
of the nature of the gift itself. Instead of staying connected to the gift, you choose to stay connected to the guilt. The guilt of your past. Eventually you become so consumed with paying back your debt that judgment of others begins to creep in. Pretty soon you're comparing and contrasting your debt against others, keeping a scorecard in your head of everything you've done right and others have done wrong. It's funny how we can take something so beautiful and just twist it and make it so sour. Either of these scenarios could have been what the servant in the parable was feeling when he began to collect on his debts, but I know for a fact that this happens to many of us today. When this scripture comes up in church, we all kind of are shocked by this servant's actions, right? Like, But the truth is forgiveness, and no matter what place you're in, no matter what walk of life, forgiveness is hard. Especially when someone has deeply hurt you. If we open our eyes and really truly look at ourselves, we may find out that we are a lot more like this unmerciful servant than we would like. You don't... Like, okay, at this point in, in the message, you may be thinking like, okay, Jason, you know, I get what you're saying, but... You don't know what that person did to me. You don't know how deeply they hurt me. You don't know the baggage I carry around every single day because of that person. And you know what? You, you would be right. I don't know that. But let me ask you something. What would it cost you to give it to Jesus? What would it cost you? Wouldn't it be better to be free? Sometimes we can become so comfortable with bitterness that it becomes a blanket we wrap ourselves in every day without knowing it. And in some ways, we wouldn't know what to do with it without it if it was gone. But that is not the life God has intended for you. He doesn't want you to be a slave. He wants you to be free. And the first step to being free, the first step for a believer to be free, the first step to forgiveness is gratefulness. And gratefulness is not a mindset. It's a condition of the heart. Can you imagine how this parable would have ended if the servant would have just spent the rest of his days singing the praises of the king and being grateful for what he had done? What if we were the kind of people that allowed the parable of our lives to end that way? So that begs the question, how do we do that? The answer is, we stay connected to the gift. We stay connected to the gift of salvation that God has given us with a grateful heart. 
We never, ever let the wonder of the gift die. We allow it to change us forever. So that when someone hurts us, forgiveness is our natural response. Get this. My, my friend Ricardo said this this week, and it just blew my mind. He said, it's a lot harder to forgive someone when you're focusing on what they have done. But it's easier to forgive someone when you're focusing on what you've done and what the King has done for you. Let's be a people who see God as the King He is. A King like Isaiah describes in chapter 6 of his book. Isaiah was a prophet in the Old Testament and he had a vision of the King. He had a vision of this King we're talking about, this God, this Savior we speak of. And Isaiah says it like this as as, uh, the worship team comes. Isaiah says it like this in chapter 6. I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of His robe filled the temple. Above Him were seraphim, which is just another word for angels, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and with two wings they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. So, if we stay connected to the wonder of the gift that the King has given us with a grateful heart and focus on how merciful He has been to us, mercy and forgiveness will in turn pour out of our lives and into our relationships. Because it's a lot harder to forgive someone when you're focusing on what they have done to you. But it's easier when you're focusing on what you've done and what the King has done for you that you could never, ever repay. Let's let this gift change everything. 
Let's be a people who let this gift change us forever. For His glory. Let's pray. Lord God, we lay ourselves before You now, Lord. If we are already believers, Lord, we ask You to search our hearts for ungratefulness, Lord. We ask You to search our hearts for bitterness now, Lord. Bring things to light. Bring people to mind, Lord, that we need to seek out forgiveness. Lord, let us be a people who truly cherish the wonder of the gift of salvation, Lord. And for those of us who have never accepted that gift, I pray today, God, that they would take that step, Lord. That they would take that step and say, I'm leaving my baggage behind and I am throwing myself on the mercy of the King. Father God, we thank You for what You're doing in this place, Lord. We thank You for how You're moving in our church, Lord. We love You, Lord. God, thank You. Thank You for the gift. We could never repay. In Jesus' name, Amen.